again, everybody. It's Peter Graves, and you've reached Ticket to Fly, the USA Nordic podcast of topical news and information. And today coming up, we are going to be talking to Andreas Goldberger, the famed Austrian ski jumper known as Goldie. Yes, you've heard of him. We're joined right now in our preview of the show by producer Tom Kelly from Park City, Utah. And uh, Tom, I, th- I think this interview uh, just leads us to so many places. It's an interview of depth and, and passion for the sport and experience, but it all began on a farm in uh, Austria. This was such a wonderful story. And, you know, to a certain degree, I think both of us were a little bit starstruck in talking to someone like Andreas Goldberger, who in the 90s was truly one of the greatest stars in the sport of ski jumping. But but his story about growing up on a farm and how he found ski jumping, you know, it's the same story that we see in the towns and villages around America where there's a ski jump and how kids get involved in the sport. It was the same with Andy Goldberger. Yeah, it was. And so many people in Nordic skiing have come from rural areas of the country. It's interesting when you have an interview, you end up going, as you know, Tom, in a multitude of places. I have to say one of the things that was really touching was a a bit of a tribute he had to Maddie Nukunen. Yeah, it, we went in a lot of different directions with this. And the the comments about Maddie Nukunen, who passed away uh, some years ago, were, were really quite poignant. And, and what it spoke to a bit, uh, it spoke about Maddie Nukunen's situation, but it also spoke about Andy Goldberger's situation, that when you're a star in a sport like ski jumping and in Europe, that there are pros and cons to being a superstar, and it does impact your life. Yeah, it was very poignant indeed. And he also touched on the uh, Visla ski jump and the upcoming World Cup season about to start. It's going to be an interesting season with the COVID uh, situation. He spoke a little bit to that with some really detailed outline on the jump in Visla. So uh, great to talk to him. And I think people will enjoy this podcast with Andy Goldberger, ski jumping superstar. All right. As always, Tom Kelly, thank you so very, very much for your help. Well, sit back, relax, and let's listen to our interview with Andreas Goldberg. Hope you enjoy. Hello again, everybody. I'm Peter Graves, and welcome to USA Nordic's podcast, Ticket to Fly. Glad to have you along today because we have a true legend in the sport with us from his home in Austria. You know, if you think about it, not many people can be recognized by one name alone. Whether this man upcoming is Andreas, Andy, or Goldie, you can take your pick because he is a true legend in the sport and joining us from his home in Monse in Austria is Andy Goldberger. What a delight, Andy, to have you with us. Thank you. Hello, Vita. Hi. It's it's a pleasure to to talk with you. It's uh, I know you a long time as announcer, and so now I'm I'm really happy to to. That I can do this interview with you. Well, uh, I'm delighted to have you. And and we want to try, uh, we had Walter Hoffer on recently, and we want to try to bring an international flair to this program. And uh, you certainly do that. Um, There's so much to talk about. So let me begin uh, at the beginning a little bit. you uh, grew up in a town uh, that I know well uh, from my friends uh, at the Fisher Ski Company, uh, uh, Franz Fodinger, uh, number one in Ried im Inkreis. And tell me how, from that town, you got into ski jumping. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'm I'm born in the in the hospital in Ried im Inkreis, where the ski fisher factories and i grew up uh 10 kilometers beside in a small village uh on our on a farm my parents are farmers they were farmers until uh, two two months ago now the farm is closed i I grew up there with with one elder brother and one elder sister and happily we had there 
a small, how to say, a small ski jumping hill. And my brother is three, four years older than me. And when we were boys, that was you. You had to jump over this small hill, otherwise you are not a boy. And so my brother started to jump, and then he was so so happy uh, that he could do it, and was always smiling the whole day. And then so I I also wanted to do the same, and my brother took me the next time to the next trainings lesson there, and so I started ski jumping. So I had really the, the good luck that where I grew up, we had a small jumping hill, and my brother took me there with him. And uh, Andy, did you do uh, some alpine ski, Langlauf, or only a ski springen? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, of course, I went the first jump I did with uh, six to seven years. When I was in the age of seven years, I had the first jump. Uh, in the over the real jumping hill, but uh, with three years, uh, when I was three years, I started already skiing behind our farm, behind the house. There was that time that we had a lot of snow, and so we always uh, no 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 lift, nothing, but we we walk we were walking up with with the feet there and then skiing down. So I I tried because I think it's important for children to learn skiing. Then it's it's better. Then you can better learn ski jumping. So, but cross country skiing, I had not the possibility to do, to do. But now I do a lot of cross country skiing. Maybe because when I did it before, when I was a child, maybe I I would get a, a good Nordic combined either. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. So when you were a, a, a younger boy and you had started ski jumping seriously, who do you remember? were your heroes when you were young yes of course that was very important for me uh, uh, that you have heroes or idols and when i was young also we had in austria also a lot of 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 really good ski jumpers for me was in austria was uh like tony Inauer or then andreas felder ernst lettori uh but the international biggest hero for me was always uh, Martin Ikenen. I always really cheered to him, watched him in television, and and really the Martin Ikenen was really my my big big idol. Yeah, he was uh, he was one of a kind, and and uh, you know I I got to interview him in uh, Lake Placid for ESPN television. And I had a very good relationship with him. But in general, Matty didn't like the media very much. Uh, all he wanted to do was just jump. But I have to say, looking back, and he had a rather tragic life, as you know. Looking back, I really liked him. I was terribly sad when he died. Yeah, I... I think everyone who loves ski jumping or likes this sport was really, uh, yeah, it was awful for for everyone who died because he was really a a genius in in ski jumping. Uh, what he what he won and how he 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 lived this this ski jumping that that was and and for me it was also his special life. He was something special. He was not a uh, like a number, like everyone, he was something special. He was Martinique Cannon, and that's I think because he had so many fans over the over the whole world, and he had really uh, forty six victories in in World Cup, and there were not a lot of of World Cups in a year. Then he did this lot of of Olympic gold medals and world records, and yeah, he had also his his bad sides and like. Everyone, I think, has in the life, but he's he was, yeah, a, a personality, something absolutely. Special. I mean, as as a great violinist would be, or a great singer or artist, uh, yeah. he, he was he was okay. that. Once I, when I was in in Finland in in Kopio, I hear him singing live. He was really on on the stage and was singing with the band. He was. Something special, yeah, yes. Yes, for sure. 
So, uh, Goldie, uh, what do you, when you uh, got serious and really serious about jumping, what, what was your first, that you consider your first breakthrough win? What was your big first win? Uh, yeah, when I was uh, so young, with after the, how to say, the, the primary school, I went to the boarding school in Ski Gymnasium Stamms, mm-hmm. like every great ski jumper was there in Austria. After when I was 15 years old, I, I came there because there was perfect training, perfect coaches and perfect training surrounding, surroundings. And when there we got in the, I was, I think, 17, it was 1989. The school there, we got a new jumping hill, a K100 five meters jumping hill, and there was a big uh, opening uh, competition where the, the whole national team from Austria was here. Then the German have been here with Jens Weisflug and the best Finns also with a World Cup defender, Adi Becker Nikola. And I was just a, a young boy and I won this competition. So that was the really first great international victory for me. It was in summer, but it was something special because I knew then, wow, I can really compete with the big names in ski jumping. That was something special for me. Okay. And, and we want to remind people just what a career you had. Three World Cup titles, 93, 95, 96, two Four Hills titles. Uh, 93, 95, two Olympic bronze medals in Lillehammer, seven World Cup uh, championship medals, including a 91 team gold, and three ski flying, Schiflug medals, including 1996 gold at uh, Kulm. So, okay, your career is going along. The team of Austria uh, became one of the dominant teams in the world. Uh, but I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you uh, were the first to go over 200 meters. And as I remember, you touched on your hand, uh, but uh, you were still the first person to do it. What are your thoughts about that, Goldie? Yeah, that was, for me, it was always a, a dream. Also, like you told, to, to get a gold medal at Olympics or World Championships or to win the for for sports it's always the best to, to get the overall World Cup title because then you have to be the best over the whole season. But something special always I wanted to be to get a, a world record to be the man who had the longest flight on skis. That was something special and and I always wanted to to get over two hundred meters or to be one of the first to to go over this uh, over these 200 meters because this was some at that time it was a like a, a magical border to get this and yeah and it was in the 94 ski flying world championships at the first uh, official training and that first jump i know that hill was really not ready or uh, perfect prepared there were no uh distance marketing lines in the in the outrun but for me i said now maybe if you want to do it then it's the first round is the chance to get it and so yeah i tried it and then i remember when when i was at a takeoff or so i didn't expect it that i would fly long because yeah it's i was not very high in the air at the beginning but then i thought okay now i'm really high in the air and there's no really distance marketing or a line beyond me and I had no how to say it uh orienteering to orienteer I didn't know really what's going on and and when I was landing I knew it was really really very far and the outrun was really pumpy and I got a yeah maybe my balance was a little bit too much on the back because I was already surprised and so I touched the snow with my with my back and with the hand uh, and then i heard about it was 202 meter mm. it was was for me it was amazing but i was angry about me because uh, i had this chance and i touched the snow then in the second round i did it again 202 but 
before the also Tony Yemen and did 203 meters and he did not touch the right, snow. Right, <laughs> uh, that he held the record. I remember talking to, and you know him, uh, uh, and you know the family, Mike Holland, who uh, won at uh, Behoffen back in uh, 1989, but also for a short time held a, a world record uh, in ski flying. He told me, Andy, that in a way he felt he got into the air in the flight and he had this momentary sense that time was standing still, that everything was slowing down. You did so well in ski flying and other disciplines of the sport too, for sure. But what is it about ski flying? If you can put into words that is so captivating, so special. Yeah, skill flying is uh it's yeah it's it's the special because it's 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 like hell or heaven <laughs> if you are in in good shape yeah if you're in good shape then 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 ski flying is heaven and like Mike told you everything is is so easy you are flying you are so so light and and everyone is looking like slow motion you are over seven eight nine sec seconds in the air but it it feels like it's much longer because everything is working perfect but if you are you have problems or you you got an accident or you're in trouble then it's like hell because you know then is that can be very very hard seven or eight seconds uh to get to to the ground healthy that's that's almost because it's something special is key flying because you have this more in-run speed and because of this uh, more in-run speed, you have that more pressure in the air and this uh, air power is, is much stronger and every one little mistake uh, takes more influence on your, yeah, your flight. Yeah, indeed. So I want to go to the team now, the Austrian team. You're uh, a superstar on the Austrian team on a team with – other very good athletes. And I think it was the time uh, Tony and our maybe was the Nordic director for OSV. And uh, what was it like to uh, be working together with uh, the team you had? And, and did you push each other to make each other better? Yeah, that's, that's really a, a big advantage uh, if you have a strong team. Because you know if you are in the team, you are good. Then you know in the international competition, you will be good. That's really important. And you always, if you always compete with or train with the good guys, you push each other more. You always go to the limit, over the limit. Also in the, in the physical training, in the technical training, in the training on the hill, you always uh, train you always on a on a on a higher level you i think there's something special you can that's really hard to do it alone in a in a team uh where you push each other it's much easier and also it's a, a big advantage for the equipment you have because testing skis testing suits and testing binding testing boots that's much easier if you have really a, a good a big good team that's that saves you a lot of of time in in spending other things. And more or less, when you have a team of such great athletes, did more or less people get along quite well together? Your teammates? Yeah, it's it's often. I think we have. I for me, it was was great when I was uh, coming into the team. Uh, there was the team leaders have been. Andy Felder, Ernst Vettori, then Heinz Kutin, and so and they're really nice, good guys. And I was really welcoming the team for me. Like I came in with Werner Rathmeyer or Martin Hölbert, and so we have these young guys. We were really welcome. And I think in the Austrian, it's maybe the mentality that's a really good advantage. I think what the Austrian have, they're really. Uh, social they they want to be in how to say it uh they want they don't want to be alone they always want to have uh nice guys around him and have fun yeah yeah 
I hope you understand this, what I mean, though, like, if you're coming to Austria, so you are always hardly welcome when you're coming yes. home. To one no, I, I, I understand it completely. And I have to say, yeah. as an aside, I'm just thinking about my son, Willie, was on the U.S. Nordic Combined Team. And at a very young age, I had to speak at a mountain bike event in uh, Caprun. But I drove him over to Wolfgang Mitter's house who was a friend of mine because Andy Mitter had, had lived here uh, in U.S. for a, a summer or two. And uh, the next thing I know, uh, Willie uh, is being coached by the Austrian Nordic Combined Team. I mean, they embraced him. They, they were, that's the best of sportsmanship, you know, to help a young American boy who's there alone, really. You know, because I was working an hour away. But anyways, uh, I, I always thought so well of the Austrian team for that. And um, there's a nice spirit and a welcoming. Um, so I, I want to ask you, you had uh, two Four Hills titles in 93 and 95. Uh, and for a lot of people, and I've been to the Four Hills a couple of times, including getting a, some great pictures of you. You were always smiling. That's something I remember. You're a good guy. Uh, a lot of people say winning the Four Hills is perhaps as important as winning an Olympic medal. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First, I have to say, I, I was maybe not always smiling. I always had some bad days also, no, but, but mostly I drive with smiling is much easier. Now, but especially I think for Austrian, a ski jumper, four hills tournament is really something special because it's, uh, always battle between Austria and Germany. And yeah, it's the, the home company competition. It's always, a a dream uh, for a young ski jumper to to jump in the Four Hills tournament in Berg Isel. And yeah, for me, it was great to jump in the Berg Isel. And for me, I, I love this hill and I I won. It was my world, first World Cup victory I had at the Four Hills tournament. So it was something special. And it's really uh, difficult to win a Four Hills tournament because it's four competitions in 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 one week and on on four totally different hills now it's a little bit with the new rebuilt hills it's a little bit uh closer each but earlier times the hill was so different and it was so difficult to jump this and especially also the the spectators the fans the four hills is something special and i think for for all ski jumpers, the Four Hills is something special. But for Austrian guy, it's uh, more, more more special than I think for the others. So and 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 so I'm really happy or glad to to win this. I always love to jump the Four Hills, and so I was not afraid of the spectators. I always loved to to jump before a big yeah, crowd. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I said they gave me really a, a lot of power. They didn't, they didn't shock me. They they gave me power. I, yeah, I that was it. just what I was going to say, Andy. That uh, I've been down in the in the counter slope at Bergiesel and also up in the press area. But uh, the crowds are cheering. Uh, the pressure I would think is unbelievable for a young Austrian or German boy. Uh, because the Four Hills is just in two countries. Uh, but it inspired you, it sounds like. Yeah, that's that's true. I always, yeah, because I, for me it was always, uh, when I was a small boy and I watched the Four Hills in the, in the television or like I was in Mike Holland's uh, win in Bischofshofen, I was a spectator there as a boy. So I always dreamed about to compete there also and then so I always had a positive feeling about this and and then when I was really in the in the four hills I I said to myself then okay now I got my goal why should I be afraid now I always dreamed about this now I'm here so be happy and enjoy this and don't be afraid but I remember one one once or two times I really was a little bit afraid or, or or quite nervous because it's always 
the last jump in Bischofshofen. It's always the most difficult jump because you're the last competitor in the final round at the starting bar and in the starting bar you're just uh, one uh, volunteer or, or helper, working guy is there who, who, who's sitting on the start bar next to you and then it's quiet. Nobody, you have the most important jump and you feel so alone there. Nobody can help. That's really a, a something. Of, uh, yeah, it was a, a serious or a, a mystic feeling. Yeah, no, well said. <laughs> and, and, and during that time, uh, the growth uh, of sports psychology was really coming on. Did you get to work with a sports psychologist, you or your team, that, that helped you with stress? Yes, we, we we didn't, but not so so really, uh, because you know when spot psychologist, so it's always uh, it's it it sounds so so bad, but I think nowadays you it to be really on this high level you need a spot a spot psychologist, but when I had really also the the good luck where I grew up on a farm. And I always played and trained in the in the house and around the farm, outside in the how to say in the hut, in the in the storage for everything. So we we learned a lot of yeah something what we need later in in sports. That was 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 important. What I had to learn because when we had a psychologist or or we did this mental coaching, mental training. So we, we did a lot of of training trainings. What I said, hey, that was what I was doing as a kid there. So I was used to do it. So I had really a, a good luck that I grew up and really on the countryside. Yeah. No, that's that's great, and that leads me to uh, another question I I wanted to ask you, um, and, and that is. You know, when I look back at the history of Austrian sport in in a lot of disciplines, they are they were great downhill skiers or or jumpers or cross country skiers even. Many of them grew up in rural areas, you know. I had a lot of friends that were in Ramsau on Dachstein and and around this area and they came from farm families. All of a sudden, and that provides you a very solid backdrop of good values and knowing what's important. But then, Andy, you become Austrian Sportsman of the Year. You're a hugely famous guy. Everybody, I presume, wants a piece of Andreas Goldberger. Now everybody would want to have a selfie with you. How did you handle the fame? that came along with being such a superstar. Yeah, that's, I think that's, uh, was, was most of the difficult thing then, because at, at first you always dreamed about to be successful, to be famous. And then you, when you are famous, then you laugh it. But, uh, suddenly, you know, uh, you have no chance. Your body, your mind can uh, recover anymore. So you you're getting tired. Uh, not so really in the body because you are getting tired in the head. And then you, yeah, that that was difficult to get uh, your place or to get back your power because you always have to do something for for the fans. Of course, that that that's fun. But then you have to do for for the press, for television, for newspapers, for sponsors, and yeah. And that's yeah, really uh, difficult for the head, and and that was the most to, to recovery. That was really uh, uh, serious. I had the good luck, or or I had for my, I was a person who always uh, had good connection or a good contact also with the press, with the sponsors. So it was not so so difficult to me. But I, I remember I, I sometimes I had really. Uh, problems and I yeah I had to to close the door or to yeah to switch off telephones and everything because uh, you need also time to recovery but I just checked it when I knew okay 
uh, my body is healthy and and powerful but but you feel tired because your mind is not is not with it's not like fit or good in a good shape yeah like your body. and you know i mean everybody dreams of winning an olympic medal uh, especially a gold in that kind of thing but i once had a olympic athlete tell me i won't say the name or even the sport but he said winning this olympic medal was the worst thing that ever happened to me and uh isn't that interesting you know but i i understood what he meant you know, it did mean money and fame and recognition, but not everybody competes for that. They compete for a, a more purative, uh, a pure a sport perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's always like the the second side of a medal, like we say, or because you you don't know what you, you dream about to, to winning a medal, but you don't think about what what you have to do uh, afterwards or what what is the next uh, step that's because you laugh a lot of people that they love to do the sports but they don't love to do that what <laughs> you have to do also besides so true yeah, yes yeah but but i think that that's that's part of the game you have to decide if you want to do this then you have also to do the same this i always when i train with uh, small children or with with younger guys i always tell them try to do as long as your sport or ski jumping do what you love to do as long as you can do it because it's everything what you do at the moment is better than the normal working yeah. life. And do something as long as it makes you happy. Uh, yeah. And Andy, now you're on the flip side a little bit. You're now uh, and have for quite some time. You retired in, uh, in uh, 2005, uh, but you've been working for ORF for a long time. And you've did a lot of jumps with the helmet cam for ORF. Do is your commentary influenced by your own experience? Like, are you more forgiving to the athletes you comment on? Do you cut them some slack, as we say in, a U in U.S. colloquialism, because you understand? Yeah, I, let me explain. Because uh, when, when I had really the the chance the, when I, I stopped my career in 2005 that I, I could work for the Austrian television. So I I had to stop really with, with ski jumping. So I was in my spot still. And I wanted to to bring the TV spectators, the sports nearer. Why is this so interesting or why I love this sport? And so I tried to do this this helmet and ski with the ski, ski and, and camera jumping. To bring the like the the, the ski jumping better in the living room, so to take the spectators meet on a uh, with me on a ride over the hill, and so I loved it. And I, I and for me it was also positive because I was still jumping. I knew about how difficult this is. I knew everything about the the rules or the equipment uh, and equipment and rules and everything. And I met. The jumpers on the takeoff on the tower in the athletes' village, and they talk then, or the coaches they talk different with you uh, when you are a jumper or when you're still jumping, or are you just a, a, a journalist? That's so you are one of them, and so new, you know everything better. And I always uh, know when I'm co commentating or commentating or I'm expert. Uh, and I have been also jumping. It's I'm better, and I know more, and I can understand everything more. And so I think for it's uh, it's it's an advantage when you still do it. For me, it's still advantage, special because I meet the coaches and the athletes in a in another yeah, way. Yeah, indeed. So what else are you doing when you're uh, probably being a commentator is not quite a full time job. What else are you doing, Goldie? Now. Yeah. And I still I have to say because I know more a lot about the, the jumpers and so, but it's also uh, important that I don't tell everything because I think there are some 
secrets of the jumpers, they should be their secrets. So it's uh, they trust me. If they they tell me something, it's important that that's not for official. That's important that you have the trust or you have the the feeling. Otherwise, they they would kick me off the jumping hill. <laughs> uh, Goldie, I agree. I mean, in all the years of jumping and cross country and stuff, I, I, I've heard a lot of things. Not everything is. Uh, absolutely. You know I, I, mean. I, I really, I understand. So we saw what Adam Mawish did from Poland uh, in his uh, remarkable career. We've seen Slovenians getting stronger, for example. I mean, Austria is not alone on top of jumping anymore. Can you suggest, uh, describe to me where you see Austrian jumping now. I think Austrian jumping is is still on a on a real high level, like always. But I think the or I'm sure other nations they really have increased a lot because, like like we have seen the the Slovens, uh Slovenian team with a lot of young guys, or especially the Polish team. Uh, is is extremely strong. The Norwegian come back, and also or the the German, the Germans. They have a lot uh, insured jumpers, but uh, still strong, strong team. The the Japanese coming more. Also, the there are six, 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 six teams are really really strong, but like some years ago, really Austria dominated and. Then it looks like it's so easy, but they have been really hard working a long time, and then you always need also a good luck that you always get young jumpers. Uh, that young jumpers can start ski jumping, so it's important to have good, good coaches, good coaches education for the for the skiing clubs in the in the countries and and in the. In the junior teams, that's really important for me. It's most important to have good coaches uh, in the in the children or junior teams because there you can learn or teach them the the right technique and and everything what's what's important. And I think that we have really good good coaches and good coaches education in Austria because we have a lot of coaches working in in. In, in other countries. Also, Andy Mitterer, you, you talked before, he's really, really a very good yes, coach. Yes, he is. But he's not, he's not working in Austria. He's working for the, for the German B team and he's doing really a, a good, good yeah. job. And, uh, and all of us, of course, uh, I go to the FIS meetings every year and, and the Congresses and they always talk about how important uh, it is to the rest of the winter sports world that Germany has a strong ski team because it is considered the largest television market of winter sport in the world. And uh, uh, they will watch if they're doing well. So uh, we also have to uh, have a good hope for, uh, for the German program. They're really strong at the moment. Again, I know that just had the German had the national championship. So now they, because also now it's the difficult COVID situation, but uh, behind the scenes they all train very hard. Also, that they're in good shape. And uh, I want to ask you about Visla uh, because uh, we're uh, coming up uh, to the start of the World Cup season. I'm sure you will. You be there, or will be in studio. No, we now we the latest situation now. At first, we said one month ago they said, yeah, okay, we ORF will will transmit or uh, every every competition uh, for what when uh, there. But now we are almost every competition, just uh, Innsbruck and Bischofshofen, we are in Vienna in the studio. So I will not be in Wisła. That's the situation. It's a little bit of a pity because, you know, transmitting or commentating if you're live there yes, is always I better. agree. Now, tell me a little bit about, uh, I believe it's the Adam Alwish Hill in Wiesla. Uh Tell me a little bit about the hill. Uh, I, I've never been there. 
difficult hill. I, I've never jumped there either. I have been often there, but jumping, I have never jumped there really. But I know it's a, a difficult hill. It's always a, and the first World Cup competition because first time it's on the 21st of November now. And it's the first time where almost every jumper has no jumps on snow before. And it's warm weather conditions. They prepare the snow and the snow, what they have there, it's difficult to prepare. So the, the outrun, the landing zone and the outrun is really very, very pumpy. And you get a lot of pressure in the in the radius, in the outrun. And it's pumpy. So it's, uh, yeah, landing and, and gliding on snow is, is it's, it's difficult and, and dangerous. So it's, it's better you have to stay long in the air and also it's always the wind is a little bit tricky it's often some side and headwind you need a little bit you need luck in in, in the wind because that's important for the length but the the wind com comparison points they are not uh, really what what they they have influence on the jump so it's a little bit tricky yeah but and in run with the with the new ice in run track is perfect. Now, of course, the the takeoff it's yeah, a shorter one and first competition or a World Cup competition because they had just one one summer Grand Prix in the year and not really a lot of competition. So nobody knows how shape are the jumpers, how they is, and I think it will be a little bit a a nervous start at the beginning and also the. The COVID situation without spectators and a lot of, of controls and you know it's uh it's 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 nobody will will be I think so really high confident or or sure what will will going on or what will happen the next Adam Mawish certainly uh, helped put Polish ski jumping on the map of course uh, Fortuna did that years before him and there were others as well but uh, what do you think of Adam Mawish Yeah Adam Mawish is is uh yeah amazing amazing what he did he he really uh he was the the man or the the guy who who brought Poland uh now where they where they are because he was really the at first it was Piotr Fiers some years ago but then was nothing really and then came Adam Malish and he was so successful. He, he, I know him when he was coming in the World Cup he was he was not yeah he was good talented and because I know him really special because the manager I had I told to him, hey, they're good. There's one really good Polish guy. I think you should help him. He can be a great one. And luckily, he really, he really won almost everything. And he brought really uh, the hype and and the ski jumping really back to the Polish fans. And Polish fans are really amazing, crazy in, in positive thing yeah really and and it's fun and 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 he did something what uh when adam malish was successful uh there was almost every every polish kid wanted to start ski jumping it was really yeah, amazing he yes. really uh put it he was more more popular yeah, than the pope he put it on the map for sure for sure uh andy uh so as we are on the brink of the season uh uh, we are, I want to ask you about some of the, uh, top names, uh, to watch, uh, Stefan Kraft, I, I recall is the defending world cup champion, uh, but skipped the grand prix due to injury. Uh, who are we going to be seeing in Visla do well? Do you think? Yeah, I think in Visla, of course. The Polish team, of course, with, with Kamil Stoch, uh, David Kubacki and Piotr Schuja, they are always uh, jumping good there. I think for me, of course, in, in the Austrian team, uh, Stefan Kraft is, is still the team leader and, and, and the best he should be. Austrian, we have a really strong team also. I'm I'm really uh, looking forward how the Japanese will behave. Yoyo Kobayashi, because yeah, I haven't seen him the whole summer anywhere. No, he they have just been in in Japan, and for them they will 
I think be difficult if they come to Europe. They have to stay the whole season there because they have this problem with the traveling in COVID. But I think Yoyo Kobayashi, they, they, he will do good. Uh, for me, it's always uh, Timi Zajic from Slovenia. That's always a, a young, good jumper I have on the list. Of course, then the German, Markus Eisenbichler is Markus Eisenbichler, Karl Geiger. And Andreas Wellinger is healthy again and in hopefully in good shape. He's, he's fit after his cross ligament injury. Yeah. That will be... Uh, and, and the Norwegian, I think, uh, Daniel yeah. Andretande. He's, he's, he's strong and he's my favorite also for the, for the Ski Flying World Championship again. He's the defending world, world a ski flying world champion, and he's in quite good shape. Do you, at the moment. Will Johansson be there from Norway, or is he injured at the moment? No, Johansson is he just a little bit problems with the back in the training, but of course, if the, he will be fit, but I, I don't know if yeah, I hopefully because I like him because he's a, a special guy. He should be jumping good, but yeah, he's. I think the, the 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 Norwegian will be good again, especially if if we come on the big hills or on the ski flying hills. The Norwegian always. On All top. right, Goldie. Well, let me ask you this: uh, We've talked about some of the elite jumpers of the world. Uh, what say you about uh, this current crop of U.S. ski team jumpers? U.S. ski jumpers that they have really some some good guys there. For me, especially Kevin Bickner is. Is one really good, talented uh, jumper. He can really good, good can do really good jumps, especially in ski flying. I know because in it they have really also difficult situation within the U.S. Ski Federation because they are so far abroad and they have to stay a long time in Europe. They have good coach with Pina Norcic, and but they have it's difficult because they have not. I think the ski federation or the jumpers have not really that money or that possibility to get this always to have the best equipment like it's so important at the moment to have always uh, testing or have the best boots and and suits there there's a lot of work at the moment but i yeah hopefully hopefully they can show in the in the world cup good jumps because we need uh jumpers from all over the world in the World Cup, or we need also again for me it's important also to have competitions all around the world, also in USA because for me it's it's World Cup and not just European Cup, so it should be more like I remember we uh, when I was jumping I jumped World Cup in in Iron Mountain that was was amazing right? time what we always had there or like this Park City uh, jumping hills are one that have been one of the best in the world yeah. I've ever jumped. I was not jumping so good there, but yeah. I like the hills or the surroundings. That was always great. And great uh, one other uh, final question before we wrap, and that is uh, t- uh, one thing that's happened in the last uh, decade is the growth of women's ski jumping. Um, and certainly the U.S. women and uh, their officials uh, worked really hard to lobby IOC and FIS to have women's jumping. And now it's a huge growth sector in the sport of jumping. Yeah, of course, if, uh, I remember because Sarah Hendrickson, one of of, of the, the, the greatest uh, ski jumping ladies, she got the World Cup title, she uh, World Champion title, she, she won the overall World Cup. She was really a big uh, ambassador for, for ladies ski jumping. And and they were, were were really good now because they all they spent a lot of money and really good coaching and they were really good training good coaching I, I saw them a lot now it's got a little bit silent about the the U.S. ladies at the moment but I think also in this winter with uh, in the Nordic combined you have a yeah, really we good do. lady Tara Garrity uh, Motes uh, yeah. Tara Garrity, I think she will be big favorites. And there are this year also Ladies World Cup in combined world championships in Nordic combined ladies. So, we could, but, but I hope also that the 
skate jumping ladies we will see them off more off this winter like yeah. last year how fun to talk to you i could do it for one more hour for sure easily uh, me too so i'm i'm refreshing my english <laughs> i haven't english so so long time now because and the, because you know peter the situation is also a little bit difficult at the moment. We are not allowed to go really far yeah. away. Well, I, I mean, uh, I speak what I call Gastoff Deutsch. Like, uh, wo ist die Toiletten? Wo ist der Bahnhof? Ein großes Bier, bitte. That's the impo really important thing, yeah. But <laughs> at, the, at the moment in Austria, we have a, a lockdown light and all bars, restaurants is closed at the moment. So you have to come to my home. I have always one großes Bier für dich. Uh, grosses Dankeschön. Okay, buddy. I want to thank you again so very, very much. Uh, I will take you up on that beer sometime when I come to Austria. Thank you. Thank you. Well, every time welcome. Thank you, my friend. Well, that does it with the uh, wonderful, compelling interview with Andreas Goldberger. What a legend. What a delight uh, to talk to. We want to thank you all for uh, joining us on Ticket to Fly, the USA Nordic podcast. And subscribe and give us a thumbs up wherever you get your podcasts. want to thank Andreas Goldberger, our producer Tom Kelly, and for all of us on Ticket to Fly, I'm Peter Graves saying see you next time. So long.